The following program is paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4. Every weekday, News Radio 1240 KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, we be here, but not here <laughs> again. Doing the distance thing. Welcome to the True Wealth Radio Show. I am your host, David Littlejohn. With me in conference room, is that what it is? <laughs> in conference room office, Katie Shook. Is that really staticky on your end, or is it just my end? It's a little hollowy. Your headset is different. It's a little. Sounds like a kind of like you are on speakerphone. Oh, weird. That's okay. better there. Now, whatever you did, that was better. <laughs> so you have to reposition your microphone, and that'll work. Lowered my register. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a little echo to the room, so who knows. But, I was uh, trying to talk in my Barry White voice. <laughs> do the best you can. That's what we're doing. Everybody is being remarkably tolerant given the nature of this uh, environment where we are uh, – you know, doing things out of sync, doing things remote, figuring out new ways to leverage technology. But we are not going to let that slow us down because this is the best Tuesday you guys have had all week. And this is <laughs> clearly the day that we are doing True Wealth. And we have got fun stuff to talk about today. Um, fun stuff like, I have an opinion. Ha <laughs> ha. You always have an opinion, David. I'm pretty sure you have opinions in your sleep. I have opinions. Uh, this is uh, so. Here's the thing. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the stock market because okay. it's been very sporadic. And on the True Wealth Show, I mean that is a big part of what we do, right? I mean we are trying to talk to people about ways to. You know, live a richer, fuller life, to have a better relationship with money, and also to understand some of the key points to becoming better with your money. Uh, a big part of financial success for m most people that amass wealth includes a at least a portion of their net worth invested in the stock market. Right. Right. And and for good reason. I mean, historically, it's been a fantastic way to create wealth because. The, the very nature of a capitalist system, right, means that it rewards capital. Well, capital is what you contribute when you become an owner in a publicly traded company, whether your ownership is through mutual funds, or exchange-traded funds, or through some form of direct ownership where you have uh, your direct shares that you own in a company, but you're an owner, right? You're a business owner if you own stocks. You're not. Well, I, Go ahead. I was gonna say, I'm going to take it one step further, too. It's passive income versus active income. Right. Right. Well, like, you know, as an owner, you're allowing your management team to do the heavy lifting for you. And, and right. this is this big discussion that we really need to talk about because this can permeate through – so many areas of our lives, the difference between assets and liabilities and 
what it means to have passive versus active income. And there's, there's like a tax definition of passive versus active, but then there's what I'm just going to call this practical real life. Let's leave business school behind, right? Let's, let's just talk about that. You know, what's the difference between assets and liabilities and what it means to, to have earned income versus passive income. Maybe that's a better way to describe it. And the stock okay. market, you're right, Katie, you're spot on. It provides, <laughs> in many cases, passive, passive income. income. I mean, it's, the stock market will do what it's going to do. And we've always said, like, we can't predict the future. We have no – we, we kind of, you know, can gauge where it's going, but – but we're not in control of it. But at the same time, it's our money earning money for us while we're sleeping. Right? right. Like, so it's, we don't have to go to work to get a paycheck, which right now is tricky for some people. Some people don't have the ability to go to work to earn a paycheck because, you know, their job's closed. So having that passive income could be a real lifesaver to many people right now. Yeah. Let me give another example. I've been doing this. If, if you're just, tuning in and you haven't listened to the program before, we're doing a, a series designed for kids, right? It's designed for junior high and high school age kids. But really, it, the, the dirty little secret is that many parents have been sneaking in and listening to this too because they want to learn how all this stuff works. Well, what happens is it's like planting a fruit tree. That's what, that's what investing in the stock market is like, planting a fruit tree. Okay. Right, because the fruit tree grows and the tree gets bigger, and the tree also bears fruit. Well, and let's talk about that for a second, because if you actually planted a fruit tree, most of the time you don't get fruit for the first few years, right? You're investing in, especially if you bought like a little tree, like if you're starting it from scratch, you don't actually get fruit for many, many years, and I think investing sometimes is like that it's like you know it's a long-term plan right it's not like oh i'm planting this fruit tree and i expect it to be full grown and mature within a year it's like no i'm planting this for my future so that i will have future fruit to yield every year well kind of so i'm going to carry this even further let's take this analogy and really run with it okay okay you could like many business owners do they start a small business and that business grows and that is like planting a fruit tree and the business grows, and it pays them as they go. It earns money, and that's right. bearing fruit, right? It's the fruit sure. is what is paying as you go. But the business gets bigger and stronger, and someday you may sell that business, and that would be the equivalent of me buying an orchard. I didn't plant Probably. it. I bought the orchard, right? I walked in and said somebody else did a bunch of work. But I'm going to take over from now and continue to harvest the fruit and continue to nurture the orchard. Okay. Okay. And so we can do that as investors in the stock market is we don't have to start the company. We can just go invest in it. Right. And so – and that's like, oh, well, there's a whole orchard, and I just want to buy a tree. Or maybe I only buy part of a tree. <laughs> maybe I get a limb. Depends on how much money you have to work with, of course. But that's kind of – the idea. Right. But we also transitioned from talking about um, what you are as an investor to well, actually just starting to save for retirement. So we, we're kind of talking about two different things at this point. We're talking about a, a number of them, and you're, you're astute as always. <laughs> Thank um, you. The, the other element here is, so we've talked about that this is a concept in investing where the tree getting bigger is growth. Right. Okay, but the fruit that it yields is income. 
And this is part of the way you need to look at investing is, are you investing for growth or income or some combination? Right. Okay. Uh, we're timber people around the, these parts, and so Douglas fir is not something that's harvested for its fruit. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's harvested for its growth. And True. so the tree grows, and then when it is harvested, it produces raw materials that are used for other things. But the growth is the value in that tree, right? I mean, in terms mm-hmm. of the financial value, we're not going to get into sentiment and so forth. Um, <laughs> so we've got a different example where that's not really an income-producing property. That's just growth. Okay? Right. And it doesn't take just a year to produce a full-grown pine tree. Right. I mean, I, I, I'm no expert in this one, but I believe it's kind of a 40-year cycle typically for – is what's, what's generally accepted for you know, a Douglas fir crop is about a 40-year cycle. So let's look at how this applies to the stock market. And more specifically, if we back up to the beginning of this conversation, the idea of assets versus liabilities. Okay. And this is a theme that I want to explore a little bit, a little today for our listeners. I think there's tremendous confusion in the world about assets versus liabilities. Okay. And some of that confusion is absolutely being exposed right now in the middle of this COVID shenaniganizing. <laughs> okay. So how is it being exposed? Well, I many people will rationalize wants versus needs. Okay. And right now, for a lot of folks, we have uh, – there's some real discomfort going on because incomes have been slashed. You, maybe you've been laid off, right? If you weren't laid, have investments and the stock market's been beat up pretty substantially. It's had a pretty good rally in the last week and a half or so, but it's still well off of its highs. And uh, the, the question is, you know, where do we go from here? And we can speak about that a little bit today, but the bigger picture of assets and liabilities, right? I see folks that think that they own an asset when they go out and buy a vehicle, for example. That's a, okay, that's a great example, and it's a tricky one mm-hmm. because in some ways it is an asset. If the vehicle allows you to go to work or transports you to where you need to make an income, then it's vital. But – the vehicle itself actually depreciates, so it goes down in value over time. So it becomes kind of a liability. And if you have a car payment, then it's money that's costing you to own the vehicle as well. Yep. Now, I think a vehicle is a type of asset. I think it's a special use case. And the special use case, there's the term that I use, a use asset. If you are using it and it enables you to do something that makes you more profitable, then it functions like – I've used this term before. It's like a catalyst, right? Um, Catalyst is a chemistry term, and it means that normally in a chemical reaction, if it's too too hard to achieve the chemical reaction, it requires lots of input energy. I realize this is nerd speak, but stay with me, Katie. This will make sense, right? (laughs) Think about a match, right? A match sitting in, the, in a, a box of matches, like strike anywhere matches. Those mm-hmm. things just sit there. They don't spontaneously combust just sitting there. You have to strike it on something. That's right. energy that you put into it, and that friction creates enough of a reaction that it activates 
the sulfur and the match burns. Right. Right? So it required activation energy. What a catalyst does is it lowers the required energy to activate something. And so in chemistry, that's what catalysts are for, is that it's a, it bridges the gap in, a, in an otherwise harder to achieve reaction. And so the car is like a catalyst, right? It helps you to achieve at a higher level, even though there's a cost for it. If you do it right, then the use asset, it's depreciating in value, it's getting used up, but it makes you more productive. So is it worth the trade? Probably. However, people will still, they'll use that to rationalize buying more car than they should. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I make $40,000 a year and I bought an $80,000 car. Right. And as we like to say, you can't fix stupid. (laughs) <laughs> but maybe you can teach it. And so that's what we're trying to do today is let's try to teach a little bit about how to distinguish between assets and liabilities. And then okay. let's talk about how we can build the asset side of our balance sheet because I think we're in a unique time right now. I mean, the world's going to sort out in the coming weeks and months. It's going to be painful. It's going to flip things upside down. But at what point – are you going to get shaken out of your routine and then do some analysis? Right? That's an interesting question. We've been shaken pretty hard right now. So how can we take this and turn it into an opportunity to put ourselves in a better position at the other side? We're going to explore that, but let's take our first break. All right? All right. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about how to build up the asset side of your balance sheet. That and more, we'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. You're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, (laughs) y'all. It's the weirdest thing to, like, walk around the office and be on the radio at the same time. I know. Am I I allowed to go to my thinking wall? (laughs) Yes. Is is it windy? I don't don't know. No, it doesn't look look that windy. The tree moves now and then. But it is a tree with flowers on it. I don't know. You know, I do this thinking I can get away with it, and then I can't really get away with it. So uh, these are not good headsets for broadcast, and so I don't want to create a – I don't want any more challenge for our listeners that needs to exist already. (laughs) David, so really quick, I'm going to explain the thinking wall. There's a wall that surrounds our parking lot that's about three feet high. And when David needs to pace and wants to feel the outdoors, he's on this wall. And it scares me because I'm always worried he's going to slip and, like, fall into a car. But he never has. He has very uh, acrobatic, like, reflexes. (laughs) It's a retaining wall. And uh, the parking lot is sort of cut into a hillside, and this retaining wall holds back, you know, the – the dirt and so right. I, I i do i love to go out there and i just pace on this wall and it's probably i don't know a foot to wide or so I mean, it's not super wide but it's not narrow i mean you could really easily handle it and it makes katie nervous because one side of the wall is a cliff the other side is just 
mulch. You know, <laughs> you just step off the other side. So I just don't lean to one side, and it seems like low danger. Uh, anyway, uh, I say that now, and then I'm going to end up getting some call later going, how is it again that you broke your what? Because yeah. you, know, you were on your thinking <laughs> wall thinking you were something you shouldn't have done. So yeah. now, now I've jinxed it by talking on the radio about it. Do I need to put a balance beam like they have in gymnastics in the middle oh, of our office like, so you have like something to balance on? Handrail or something. No, I just need to. Just need to. Yeah, please don't become a liability. Please don't fall on any other car and oh, cost money for the office. Segway. So good. Okay, liabilities. Good. Well done. Well done. So here's the thing. I have this really simple definition of assets versus liabilities, and I want our listeners to think of it. So, Katie, how would you describe assets versus liabilities? An asset to me is something that appreciates over time, like it's um, just worth more. And then a liability is something that is worth less over time or costs you money okay. to replace. And I, I like that as a as a simple, clean, easy to understand definition. Really simple. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot more nuances to that, but really simple. I, I'm with you. I would describe it as assets put money in your pocket and liabilities take money out of your pocket. Right. Like I think of a home as an asset. In general, real estate goes up over time. So even though you're paying for it now, um, it's generally worth more later. Yeah. And houses and cars are funny to me. Uh, there's a if you haven't ever read it before, I was talking with uh, actually I was speaking with Neil Hummel this morning. If you know that name, he mm-hmm. is Century uh, 21 owner yep. uh, owns a business here in town. Correct, and you know he's real active in the community and has done a whole bunch. So most a lot of people in town know Neil. Anyway, he and I were talking, and he brought up the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. I was going to mention that by Robert Kiyosaki. Hit him in his cash flow quadrant. Yep. And it's a great book for understanding some of the philosophies behind how wealth gets created in this country. And it starts with the basic understanding of the difference between assets and liabilities and what it means to create cash-generating assets as opposed to working as a cog in a machine. And uh, Kiyosaki's had, that's the author, Robert Kiyosaki, has had a number of different books that have been written, and he you know, gives seminars and so forth on this. And there was even a game created, like a board mm-hmm. game called mm-hmm. Cash Flow, I believe, that was a, around the concept of how you develop a block of assets and get out of the rat race, as he likes to call it, and the rat race... Right. I think Rat Race was the name of the board game. It might have been. It might have been. Now um, that you say that. But, you know, the, and what is the Rat Race? Working, right? You're in the Rat Race if you have to go to work every day to earn a paycheck. So it's, it's his whole teachings was teaching you how to utilize your, like, not only money, but your time better so that your money makes money for yourself or your time is freed up so that you don't have to work to earn a paycheck. You don't have to be part of the Rat Race. We've, we've talked on this show before, but it bears bringing back. There are really only two ways to increase your earning potential. Right? Okay. Uh, there, you can do one of two things. You can do something that's very scarce and very valuable. Uh, it's a little thing. Um, I, I would have called it the LeBron James principle. Previously, I would call it the, the Kobe Bryant. I would, it, would it, the, it would be the Michael Jordan principle, but you know, Kobe's yeah. another one. And basically, it's the superstar athlete principle, right. which is 
oh, nobody can do what they do, and people want to watch it, and therefore it's super valuable. And right. people will joke, and they will, well, they're not joking when they say, well, how is that more valuable than being a teacher? And the answer is, from a sort of a moral high ground perspective, it is not. Teaching our kids is super valuable. But from a scarcity and what you're willing to pay for perspective, people will say, well, after a certain amount of money, I can hire somebody else to be a teacher. And I don't know how you become the Michael Jordan of teaching, at, where, yeah. where you're just so amazing at it that you're worth millions of dollars because it doesn't scale the same way. But when every kid wants to buy your sneakers and the parents will get them, <laughs> then you're really <laughs> valuable as a marketing endorser. And if you get a little piece of every single transaction, imagine if you get $1 for every pair of shoes that's sold and they sell 10 million shoes. Right. Then you yeah. make a lot of money. Right? And right. so teachers don't get to leverage that way. So there's the other side of it, right? Scarcity, that really unique skill set that's highly sought after and valuable, or leverage, which is the ability to get other people to do work for you and get a portion of their effort. Right. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, I would say um, really quick, since we've been talking about Robert Kiyosaki and his cash flow quadrant. Not that I thought we were going to talk about that today on the radio show, but um, I would say I read that book in high school. So I will let you know that this is not a sophisticated read that I think anybody could pick up the book and it's explained very simply. Um, and, you know, for people that are home looking for ways to expand their knowledge, it's a great read. You know, you can get it on, get it online for sure. Totally worth checking out. Um, the the idea is build up the assets, right? So we want to talk right. about the asset column, and the whole reason this started it, it, is because I've been looking at the stock market. Stock market is, of course, an asset, but then the question is, how do we value the asset? Okay. So that's how all of this fits together, right? You know, thinking like, how do we get here? Uh, today, I, I want to focus more on. We don't need to talk as much about the stock market proper as I want to talk about you building your balance sheet. Wow. Uh, Sorry. That's all right. I was trying to. I was trying to cover the headset and cover myself. It didn't work. <laughs> See, again. We're, I think our listeners really get it, though, right? I mean, you all are out there. You get it. This is not ideal. And I I think at some point we get back to reality. I certainly hope so because uh, I could probably go off on a much more frustrating tirade, but it's not constructive, right? It's uh, I understand that people are frustrated and ready to get out and, and do and go back to regular life and, in fact, willing to say, look, I'll play the odds, because statistically, I'm probably not going to get bit by this thing, and I'm willing to, to take that risk, and everybody should be sort of responsible for themselves. All of that is true. The question is whether or not it is constructive to discuss, so I'm not going to go any further into it than that. However, okay. we can talk about what opportunities are presenting themselves right now in the midst of this crisis. One of the things is we are seeing technology adoption. Right. Yeah. I'm forced to see te technology adoption. We kind of talked last week about it. Like, if you're going to continue to do education online or anything else, it's like you got to figure it out or you're not moving forward. Right. And here's another thing that's, I mean, the figure it out part, you can, you could be frustrated for me saying this, but I think it, it makes it no less true. 
necessity is the mother of invention. Right. Right. So we're here. People are frustrated with it, but we're all in this boat. So you're, you're going to have to figure it out. And it's not optional. Right. I mean, you, you can you, it's just it's coming. Figure it out. Here's the thing, though. If we have the right attitude about it, I think it's beneficial. Right? Oh, for sure. Being able to work in a remote and distributed fashion does a lot of good things for us. And when we get back to what is quote unquote normal and historically, that that's gonna be great. But knowing we have the capacity to adapt gives us so much more resistance economically in the future. And I think that's kind of a key here is how have we learned and how are we learning to respond to future situations? And right. how can we as investors look at this and, and sort of think about what the future looks like and how we can position ourselves well? Because things are changing, and we need to know what the emerging trends are as investors to try to get in front of those trends. Very interesting. I agree. Very interesting. Yeah. And Good so, food for thought. So that's a little bit of what I want to talk to you about is the concept of assets. And, and, uh, and then the other is let's, we could talk a little bit about the concepts that are plaguing this market in the short term. Okay. And, and the reason I want to bring that up is because assets are tough to price right now. Um, they're tough to price because the government is intervening in very unusual ways. And there's a ripple effect in the system that we don't fully understand yet. So let's talk a little bit about these ripples. What do you, Katie, what do you think the first ripple was? And this is, by the way, I'm not – this is really – it really is this obvious. So when I ask you, what's the first thing that happened that was a ripple through the system that created a, a, a major effect? I, I, like, I like Jim Cramer's term. If you don't know who that is, you could, he's an internet – He's a CNBC personality, talks about stocks. He's a funny guy. He calls it pin action, right? So, you know, when things start spinning around and knocking into other pins, what was the first thing that happened that set off the, the latest in the stock market issues? Oh, you know, I was thinking about it as you were asking it to me. I mean, I would think something with the medical field, but I don't feel like that's the right answer. And I may not be leading you very well, too. I mean, it was the medical field, but but – the, the big thing is, you know, we had this virus coming, and we, we saw that it was troubling, right? And we saw the effects in China, and then it was in Italy, and it was spreading. And so we saw it coming. And then what, was the, what happened? What did we do? And, again, not, I don't, I'm not trying to be sneaky here. You know, we put every, well, we put everybody in quarantine. We right. put everybody in lockdown. Right. It was lockdown. Right. And at first it was, hey, just be careful, and then it became no longer optional and state-to-state uh, -state differences, but locally we shut down parts of our economy. So we're talking about government control and the, like yeah. just the movement of money and, the, and shutting down businesses. And it's the businesses being shut down. I'm not, this is, I'm not making commentary today about politics. I know I love to go there. You guys, you've listened to me enough, everybody out there. You know where my head goes on this. I'm not I, – again, I'm constructive today. But, but let's just call a spade a spade. We shut stuff down, right? We did, yeah. And, and when we did, we broke supply chains down. Oh, yeah. 
right? And and this is the part that's really interesting is the pin action. What you know, the ankle bones connected to the shin bone, to the knee bone, <laughs> to the elbow. What? Like, yeah. so, what happens when the elbow is missing? <laughs> and, well, how how do we get to the elbow? We skip some parts in there. Well, we don't. We didn't really skip the parts. It's just you and I don't always recognize all of the parts, right? It started with stupid stuff like toilet paper, right? <laughs> I mean, like like why people thought they needed to run and buy truckloads of toilet paper. I don't know, but people did. And a panic causes people to do irrational well, things. I mean, like people bought more toilet paper than we have used for five years in our office. And, and that's, you know, with people that work here every day and people come and go. And it's like, you know, we've got – and they bought more than we've used in five years. And that's I'm like, crazy. how long do you think this quarantine is going to go on for? Like forever? Because if you think it's forever, then then – why why toilet paper and not other supplies? Right, right, right. Hey, aren't we a little long? Don't we need to take a break? I don't know. Are we? Sure, what the heck. Let's we'll take a break. <laughs> and and we'll we'll do that and we'll, we'll come back. I wanna talk more about this, right? How do we bring the supply chain? Because it matters for how we fix it and how we profit from it. That's the other stuff. So let's talk about that when we get back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shack. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. <laughs> All right. That's kind of signal. We're going to go back to it. Hey, we're, it's during the break, and we're talking about Crazy Town, right? Uh, maybe not in those specific words, but. Uh, let's call it Crazy Town, right? Like, let's be honest fighting over toilet paper in the grocery store? Crazy, crazy Town. Like, a year ago. People would not be going to blows over a case of Charmin. Like, just so, you know, we talked a lot about how logic and fear and emotions, like, you can't be super emotional and be logical at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not the way your body chemistry, it's your fight or flight movement, it's not your way your chemistry is built. So, yeah, it's, pretty, it's a pretty interesting time we live in right now. And the things that people are doing are saying they, what what I struggle with is it don't make sense because you, folks will I mean, like you still can't buy cleaning wipes. I, 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 I don't know. know where you get them from. Uh, it's just unavailable, and some of that I would think the market would respond by producing more, but in some respects it can't because other parts of the supply chain are broken. We when you order people stay home and they can't go to work to do certain things, then it breaks part of the supply chain for somebody else. If they can't get the stuff, then they can't put their people to work, and it just sort of cascades through the system. So right. here's here's my concern, 
And let me bring this all back to the original question. Let's, let's go back to the stock market for a minute. Okay. Stock market is traded back up. And while I like to use the S&P 500, it was trading over 3,300 points at its high watermark. At and where point. are we at today? Uh, 2845, I think. I'll pull okay. that up and look. But uh, 2845. You said 2846.06 was the price you put in the spreadsheet. Uh, 2846.06 was today's close. Okay. Um, and if we look at the high for the last 12 months, the 52-week range, the high was 3393.52. The low was 2191.86. Below 2,200, we're turning up. We're at 28, almost 2,850 right now, and we've been as high as, call it 3,400. Okay. We are all over the board, folks. Yeah. We're well off of our highs. You know, we're we're almost 650 points lower than right. the highs. We're about 16 percent off of it, yeah. But we're about 450 points off the lows. With a range of about 1,200 points from top to bottom. Seems like so, such a big range. It is a massive range, right? It, and we had the fastest bear market ever recorded, faster than the Great Depression. And now we're hearing words like depression. And here's my question. Can that happen? Well, I think the possibilities there because we've broken the supply chain, but it's kind of what we do to fix it in the meantime to keep it from falling in the depression hole. So the, right? My answer is absolutely it, it, we can have a depression. Like It can happen. Uh, right now, the government is trying to take really, really exotic steps to stem it, to prevent it from happening. So uh, imagine if you crank up the credit card and the printing press. So effectively, what we've done is both printing press, and credit card. Now, we are throwing money all over the place to fix this. And right. some of it will work and some of it will not. And I, I think that the central bank flooding the market with liquidity, and, and what that means is the Federal Reserve is not a government body, but it does have, you know, the government elects certain bodies to it. Uh, the Federal Reserve more or less runs the printing press. And they are buying all kinds of bonds, right? They're buying treasury bonds. Uh, I believe they're buying mortgage-backed securities. And, and they're buying it to the tune of billions or trillions of dollars, which means that if the government were to come out and print a 10-year treasury and nobody else wanted to buy it, the Federal Reserve would buy it. Why not? And as long as they keep showing up to buy stuff, then they they means they keep the demand side of the curve high. So supply and demand, right? We supply more to the market. If nobody wants to buy them, the price drops until the price is attractive enough to get people to buy. But if the Federal Reserve comes in and buys them at any price they print them, then the demand stays artificially high. That's part of quantitative easing. Why is this important? I bet you have a wonderful explanation for it. I don't know if it's a wonderful explanation, but I'll take a stab. It's important because you need to stabilize the fixed income markets because that's how people will hedge risks in, in society. Like if you have a mortgage 
then you're borrowing money, then some, somebody else has to borrow money at a stable price in order to make that loan to you, right? They underwrite you, meaning they look at your risk and your ability to pay, and they look at the value of the asset that you're trying to buy. And between the collateral and your ability to pay, they come up with a price. Well, they have to then use the instrument that was created, and somebody else has to they want to buy that security. That security may be then used to offset something else, whether it's a, right. an insurance obligation or it's somebody else, that, you know, maybe going into a, a pension fund or something where they, they need a predictable, stable amount of income. Uh, pensions are really common for this, right? Because like PERS, PERS has payments to make out. They can't just put everything in the stock market. They have to put some in fixed instruments that pay enough cash on a routine basis to pay out their obligations. Right, so some, somewhere they have to get the fruit from the tree to give to the people that they owe the fruit. Will you kind of? I know you have a little bit already, but will you really clarify what fixed income is for people? Fixed, fixed income is bonds, okay, bonds or, or loans in this case. But fixed income is is unlike equity, which is uh, stock market based. It's it's lending, right? When you make a loan to somebody, if you're the one that makes the loan then they owe you money. You own an asset. It's money owed to you. That's your asset is the loan. If you are the one that uh, borrows money, then um, the money that you receive might be an asset to you, but you have a liability, a loan that you have to pay back. So fixed income is sort of the inverse of equity. Uh, it just means that you're, you're a lender, right? So if you are going to buy a bond, you're loaning your money to somebody else, and that bond is the obligation to pay you back. Uh, it, it matters because the fixed income market is connected to the real estate market, real estate payments. All of these elements are really, really important. When you start having people lose their jobs, they stop making payments on instruments, and those instruments are designed to be predictable. If they become less predictable, people are not willing to pay the same price for them. And then okay. the supply and demand curve shifts, and everything starts to move around with it. Um, and what people don't understand is there is a link between stocks and bonds, right? People think that they are non-correlated investments and they are low correlation investments, but it does matter because let me ask you a question, Katie. If you could get a bond that was going to pay you 2% for the next 10 years and you knew that the bond was very high credit rating, or you could buy a stock that had a dividend payment of 8% per year, which one's more attractive to you? The stock? Nah, see, the answer is it depends on how stable the stock is. Right? If the stock price is going to fall by 20%, that 8% dividend is not enough. Ah. Right? But if the stock price is stable paying you 8%, it's much more attractive because it's paying a lot more. And so one of the things that exists is a comparison between the risk-free rate of return – and the risk rate of re risk plus rate of return, right? So it's the fixed income plus the, you know, it's I guess it's minus the risk premium. So it's your, your well, we're not even talking apples to apples either because you've done it based on percentages, but we haven't talked about what the dividend at eight percent would pay versus what the two percent on the bond would pay either. Well, no, I mean, if it was all things created equal, you had a thousand dollars worth of bond or a thousand dollars worth of stock, and they're both paying eight percent or two percent. You're making a lot more cash flow off of the stock. The question is, is the risk premium for the stock worth taking? Is the stock very erratic in pricing and therefore the risk premium is too high? 
then you don't buy it. But the market does price compared to the risk-free rate of return, and the risk-free rate of return is typically calculated as the treasury rate of return. So we do want to look at super high risk versus super low risk and the difference in the income and the spread between those because there is a relationship that historically can be vetted. Right now, markets have gone – like stock markets gone all crazy, right? It's bananas. Right. And so is the bond market. It's bananas. What's so, it doing? So how – well, it's all over the place, and the Federal Reserve has stepped in and bought a bunch of bonds, right? They're, they're, they're quantitative easing, and they're putting stimulus from the Federal Reserve and now stimulus from Congress in the form of the CARES Act. So we're throwing money at this problem. So how do we figure out what it should be worth? Huh. We take our last break, and then when we come <laughs> back, I will tell you what I know about it, which is not enough, but it's maybe a little help. We'll see. <laughs> Stick around. We'll see. <laughs> I we'll, so. we'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shirk. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Okay, we're back. That means whoever you're talking to, Katie, they have to get in line. <laughs> no, they're good. They're good. <laughs> I know. I'm always trying to squeeze that last little drop out of my lemonade, let me tell you. Well, you know, you may as well. So here we are on the home stretch, and here's what I wanted to make the takeaway as far as how these markets get value, right? Okay. The reality is it's really tough. It's, it's really tough because uh, there's a lot of unknown that's going on right now. Uh, I can tell you that historically speaking, you can look at the stock market and you can come up with a bit of a, a price based on how much companies are earning and then there's, there's sort of a multiplication factor. You say, well, how much are they going to earn? And then let's multiply that by this factor, and that should give us the number, right? So, right. for example, if we expected the S&P 500 to have $200 of earnings per – like if you add up all the companies and they, they're going to make $200 per share as a weighted average of the S&P – and, and we had a multiple of 15. Sometimes it's called a P.E. ratio, price-to-earnings ratio. So 15 times 200 is 3,000. Right. So that would, that would say – that would imply that, well, the price should be 3,000 then. Uh, of course, earnings don't come in all at once, right? They come in in tranches, and they come in quarterly, and some companies exceed estimates. Some companies uh, do not. And, and so that number is always sort of evolving, and it's always a moving target. But that would be an approximate way to conjure up a value. And if, if we were to look historically, I think at the start of this year, we expected somewhere in the neighborhood of $189, $190 with a multiple that was – previously about 17 and in fact it was almost 18 because we got up to 3400 and the value would have been about 188 dollars a share was the estimate at an 18 multiple we're okay. seeing 
I, I, right? We're, we're the, I think that multiple is a little high. I think that if it wasn't 18, but 15, we would be at about the current value today if we expected earnings to be $188 a share. But what we know is that we're going to come in less than that because this market has shut everything down. Right? I mean, everything's been shut down. So the market's going to affect that. So here's my question to you, Katie. What do you think, um, if we expected $200 of earnings, do you think, to take a guess, just for our listeners, and I did not prep Katie for this. I'm just forcing her to kind of do this on the spot. How much do you think this slowdown is going to affect earnings? Uh, like, is it going to be off by 5%, 10%, 50%? Like, how much do you think companies on average are going to miss? Wow. Um, there, so, you, will not, you will not be held responsible for this. No, no, just, no, I understand it. Illustration. I, you know, that it's a fascinating question because um, it's difficult to answer because n- companies haven't started back to work yet. Well, we have like two minutes, so you have to – Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a guess at about 35%. Okay, so 35%. That is really interesting. So, and, and so if we were at originally $200 a share was our estimated – price or even 188 is what I just said the market had sort of implied earlier. So we'll do 35% of that. That would be 122 and some change. Okay. If we had typical earnings of 122, and let's go back to the original multiple. It was an 18 multiple that we had when we were talking previously when the markets were near all-time highs. Okay. We got an 18 multiple on $122 of earnings. The implied value of the S&P 500 is around just just a shade under 2200. And today <sighs> we're at 2846. So now, if my estimate's right, then that means we're going to have a bigger pullback. Right. And 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 if we didn't get an 18 multiple, if we got a 15 multiple, which is closer to historic, it's a little above 1800. Which is candidly very scary, I, and I'm not saying that to try to terrify people. What I am trying to let you know is that the markets right now are making stuff up as they go. And so anytime that you start to see somebody say, oh, yeah, clearly it's going to be this, clearly it is not. Clearly that's their theory. And so you can, you can have lots of theory right now because we're all guessing. Anybody that tells you that they know doesn't know. Okay, and that's the danger zone, and that's why I want to be very clear. I don't know the answer either. What I know is that the way you use – using traditional metrics, it's really hard to justify the current price that we're at. But that doesn't mean that the markets won't go higher. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. So the (laughs) trick on this one is – Be strategic with how you do this, and if you are not working with a pro and you're trying to wing this thing, danger. I would would encourage a second opinion. Perhaps they could call... 541-375-0898. All right, gang. So, look, uh, until next time, we're out of time, but do hit us up online and so forth. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.